The text uh, calls for our attention this Lord's Day. comes to us from our Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah, the 58th chapter. And these words, Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This little gospel light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little gospel light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little gospel light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Did you sing that as a kid? Some of you did. So if you did, here's the question. Are you doing what you said you would do? Is that gospel light which God has given to you in Christ shining all around your neighborhood? Or are you doing what you said you absolutely would not do? You know, hiding it under a bushel. No! Do you not know that the Lord Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven? Indeed, that is the message that we hear today in our readings, that we are to take the light of Christ and let it shine in the world. I've always believed in one way that one sign that one is doing the work of pastoring well is that he will address things that people need to hear rather than simply talking about the things that his people love to hear about. So let me give an example of a place that happens in the scripture. In the last few months, probably more than that now, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew in our Tuesday Bible studies here at Peace. Matthew there is writing to a largely Jewish audience who no doubt would love to hear sermon after sermon about how God had chosen the Jews as his favorite people among all the nations of the earth. But that's not what Matthew necessarily talks about over and over again. Instead, he regularly talks about how the Gentiles are indeed included in the kingdom of God. Why does he bring up the Gentiles so many times in a book to the Jews? Well, I think it's because they needed to hear it. He addresses that very area of growth that they needed to consider. Yes, they needed to hear that while God had made the Jews first in many ways, it was never to exclude others. It was always that all people should be reached in the end. In our Old Testament and Gospel reading for today, there is no doubt that theme that predominates. That theme that tells us that we are to take the light that God gives to us and that we are supposed to shine it before others in real and tangible ways out in this world. We're to do good works. It's a light that God has given us that is not meant just for our benefit, that's what we're to understand, but it's meant for our neighbor's benefit as well. So we're to go out with this light and shine it upon others, 
knowing that God says that they, when they see it, will be amazed and will say, who is the one who gives such light? In our Old Testament reading, we're told that the people of God were fasting. They were refraining from eating. They were fasting as they offered up their prayers to God, and they seem to be quite frustrated that they don't think God is answering their prayers quickly enough or in accord with what they wanted, especially since they had gone to all the trouble of fasting. And yet God says that he was not impressed with their fasting. In fact, he says that he would not even open his ears to their prayers. And why was that? Well, he said that because of how they were fasting, this was the result. He said that while their fasting might have appeared to some eyes to flow from pure hearts, their lives gave evidence to the contrary. He said that while they refrained from food, they were seeking out other pleasures that would give their flesh a feast to devour. While they were acting religious in many ways, they were also exploiting the workers that God had given to them. While they were being overwhelmingly pious. In the end, when you looked at how they were operating together, they were fighting and quarreling with one another. God asked, is that the kind of fast that I have chosen? Of course, the answer is no. He said that instead, his people should be working to stop injustice where they had the opportunity. They should be taking off the unnecessary shackles of oppression that fell upon certain people. They should feed the hungry, and they should put shelter over the heads of those who were homeless. They should clothe the poor. What was it that he wanted them to fast from? Did he just want them to fast from food? No. He wished for them to fast from their lack of mercy. Oh, it seems that their sacrifices they offered were done well. They were pure to the eye. Yes, their outward religious performance was very good but yet they lacked mercy. Jesus said more than once in his ministry this phrase, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what Isaiah reveals in our text so clearly. It means that God does not value the performance of religion apart from the practice of of mercy. Now I mentioned today that I am preaching this message because I think it is one that you and I need to ponder. Oh, there are plenty of people in our world that love simply speaking of love and mercy and don't think that the practice of religion is important at all. But I don't think that's most of us gathered here today. No, we should know well, we have been taught well, and those of us that are still here have held on to well the idea that we must gather where God has placed his forgiveness, where he proclaims his good news, where he feeds us with his own life. We know, whether we do it perfectly or not, that we should be reading the word of God and that we should be praying constantly. But perhaps what we need a little reminder about 
is that if the discipline of our religion is all we have, well, God is not pleased. He does not open his ears to our prayers either. No, he rebukes us, just like he rebuked his people of old. At least for some of us gathered here today, talk that we hear in our Old Testament reading about fighting injustice and freeing the oppressed and feeding the poor has sort of become suspect in our ears because it's tied to certain political ideologies in our day or even to certain church bodies that have left behind sacred truths of our faith. And so sometimes when we hear those things, we dismiss them quickly, thinking that that's not our thing to do. But today we must hear God say it is his thing to do, and it is indeed, therefore, what he wants his people doing in the world. Yes, we must take this light that we receive in this place when we gather to practice the religion that God has given to us to practice. We must take that light out in tangible ways into the world. And so indeed, we should be the leading voices in our culture who speak against injustice in our world. Whether that be the innocent child that is being slaughtered in the womb, or whether that be the poor person who is being trampled in the courts by high-paid, crafty lawyers. We should speak out against those who are actively exploiting their workers. Those who are getting rich while leaving their workers impoverished, though they work many hours. We shouldn't just say, well, that's how it goes. But we should speak out against it. We should be on the front lines of feeding those who are hungry, whether locally or internationally. We should never turn away, as our text says, from flesh and blood, our own flesh and blood, when we see them in need. Yes, it's very easy in our day and age to feel pretty good about ourselves when we see so many other Christians leaving behind things like gathering in God's house, or the basic truths of his word, or walking in his ways, we can feel like as long as we sort of hold on to those things mentally and we show up at church and pray every once in a while, that we've surely done everything necessary. We can feel like our sacrifices are pure enough that God's eyes surely must not see those times when we lack mercy towards others. But of course, he sees it all. I suppose those people fasting didn't think Jesus saw what they were doing either. They didn't think God would reveal it with such specifics. But yes, he sees it when we decry what we saw on the Super Bowl halftime show, but then we indulge our flesh in other ways. He sees it when we get so rigid about how things must be done in church. And here I'm talking about things that Christ doesn't say anything about how they are done in church. And then we end up at odds with one another, bickering and fighting. He sees it when we speak about the poor with derision and we assume the worst about them, rather than trying to help them actually get to a place where they have a better life. Yes, God reveals what we do as well, but he doesn't just reveal our sin, thanks be to God. No, he comes also to free us. You see, he comes to free us from the oppression of our sins. That's why he talks about oppressing things being removed from people. 
He comes to take off your shoulder the burden of the law and its accusation. He comes to provide you with everything you need for your body and for your soul. And God did not do all this just by acting out some sort of heavenly ritual up in the skies. Though the scriptures make clear those things exist. No, he actually let his light shine in the world. He let his light shine right where you and I live. And yes, Christ's good work on the cross shone forth 2,000 years ago. And you and I gather today to glorify God for how good a work that was. A work that saved us, a work that let God's mercy fall upon mankind. And that light that you have received then, you are to let it shine. Wherever you go, you are to tell others about the things that God has done for you, and you are to actually do the things that God has done for you to them. I mean, Jesus goes so far as to say that our righteousness in the world, where it's to, it is to exceed even the righteousness of those who people think are the most godly people they know. We go out and we do good works. And we do these good works in such a way that when people see them, they'll know right away that they don't just come from us. They'll be far too good of a work to give that impression. And so they'll wonder where that light can come from, and we will get to testify to them that such light only comes through the Father who gives that light to us in his Son. The point, of course, of our text is not that God wishes that we would stop offering right sacrifices to him in response to his mercy. No, we still offer our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. We gather here to practice God's ways. But he is equally clear that he does not wish for us to simply offer him right sacrifices if that is all there is in our life. He instead desires first and foremost that we would be seen giving away that which we have freely received. He wishes for us to be a people of mercy first and sacrifice secondarily. I was never sure why in that little children's song that light spoken of was called that little gospel light. Perhaps just because we thought children were singing it and they're kind of little. But indeed, isn't it true that if we have this light, it's not little at all. No, instead, it is huge. It is bright. It's almost blinding to the eye in one way. And you either have the full light or you don't have it at all. But you, God's child, you have that light. You have the fullness of the light. Jesus, the light of the world, has held nothing back from you. And so he pours the fullness of his light into you. That light shines on you today and removes from you your sin. And you leave with that light. And you know what to do with it. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Amen.